Let's open the precious Word of God to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. I appreciated the author of the last song we sang. A woman who wrote 130 years ago that in the Bible, His truth is concealed and His truth is revealed from the same book. Praise the Lord. That's the truth of what the Bible tells us and what we're studying at this time. And we pray and we sing, and I hope you sang as a prayer, Break thou the bread of life to me as he broke the loaves beside the sea. Because the Lord was able to take a few loaves and fishes, break them after blessing them, and they were able to feed 5,000 men besides women and children to their filled, till they were all filled, and then they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that were left over. That is our God's ability to multiply and bless our feeble efforts. In Matthew chapter 11, we come to the 25th verse, when Jesus recognized that there was a great distinction made among his hearers by how they received his preaching. And as he observed this difference, and he has just mocked them, and he has just warned them, in verses 16 through 24, he comes to verse 25 and, and follow with me the, the sobriety and severity of these words. Matthew 11:25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father, save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. This is the truth of how you ever learn the truth. God has to give it to you as the Lord of heaven and earth, and He only gives it to some, and He typically, generally, gives it to babes, the foolish, the poor, the base, the despised of the world, and He hides it from the wise and prudent, generally the educated, the intelligent, the intellectuals of the world. Bless His holy name. This is the truth of God's Word. This passage teaches us several things. That our God is sovereign. That's why Jesus addressed Him as Lord of heaven and earth. Right. He is sovereign because Jesus said He makes this choice because it seems good to Him. Amen. It seems good to Him to blind men and keep the truth from most. And it seems good to Him to show it unto babes. It seems good to Him to have men spend 20 years in higher education pursuing a couple of doctorate degrees to end up knowing nothing. And to take repentant prostitutes and tax collectors that had sold their souls to the Roman government and teach them the truth of His Word. This is our sovereign God because it seemed good to Him. He doesn't care what seems good to you. He doesn't care what seems good to the United Nations, UNICEF, PETA, or the PTA. It's what seems good to Him. 
What a powerful, powerful passage. And Jesus comes to these words because He's looking at His audience and He has just pronounced woe upon them by telling them that some of these cities, if they'd had the message brought to Sodom and Gomorrah or the message brought to Nineveh, they would have repented. But these wicked people hadn't repented. They should have known better. The men of Nineveh shouldn't have known better. These men should have known better. The men of Nineveh did repent who didn't know better. The men of Capernaum and Nazareth and other places didn't repent when they should have known better. And Jesus is recognizing that as the Son of Man and the Son of God. And then He glorifies His Father in Heaven for the difference that He's made. Do you know what this tells you about higher education? Higher education may have its little tiny place in this world, but it doesn't have any place in learning God's truth. Learning God's truth is we've got to make ourselves like Solomon did. Solomon had the higher education. He did better in school than you did, and he learned more than you have. But Solomon said, Lord, I am but a little child. Give me wisdom that I may know how to go out and come in before this so great a people. In 1 Kings chapter 3. Verse 27, the Lord Jesus Christ says, All things are delivered unto me of my Father. That same sovereign disposal of truth was given to the Lord Jesus Christ. No man can know the Son, Jesus Christ. No man can know the Father. Unless God reveals it to him. To whomsoever the Son will reveal him. It's not to whomsoever will exercise his free will. It's to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. This is all the decision and will of a sovereign God. And Jesus recognized it. And we would be fools and blasphemers to go against the Lord Jesus Christ and say that it's any other way than what's described right here. We want to be his babes. And we can come to him by being babes in prayer. And tell him we know nothing. We just had a prayer made where the man said, our brother, we're nothing. That is just the way we want to talk to God. It's the meek that he will teach in the way that he shall choose in Psalm 25. And the meek are those who make no pretensions about their own ability or their own knowledge, but they want God to fill them with his knowledge and his ability. This is a powerful passage. Never forget it. Remember this passage. You can't learn God by diligent effort. You can't learn God through years of higher education. You can't learn God through man's wisdom. The educational systems of the world do not lead you to God's truth. Because God wants to do it Himself. He's the Lord of heaven and earth and He reveals it to babes. Thank you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Thank you. Do you have that attitude? Some think we're so harsh. We don't care what they think. We want to be as harsh as the Lord Jesus Christ was. So we're thankful. Now hear, hear me. We're thankful that He hides truth from the wise and prudent. That Dr. So-and-so and the other Dr. So-and-so and another Dr. So-and-so don't know anything. And we thank God that He's arranged it that way. We thank God that He's taken little idiots like ourselves, and taught us truth. We just want to stay idiots. We want to stay children. Children in malice. We'll let Him make us adults in understanding. We want to stay children in our pretensions about ourselves. We don't want any. We want to come as babes before Him. Look at this thankfulness. 
Jesus was thankful for the doctrine that I'm teaching you. And that is that God has made sovereign choices about who gets the truth and who doesn't. He's the sovereign of the universe because it seemed good in his sight. When God looked down and he saw a bunch of men getting degrees and walking up onto some stage in their Catholic monk outfits, where do you think that crap came from? Where do you think those little monkey suits came from with dangling tassels and square cardboard heads? Where do you think that came from? When they walk up and are greeted as Dr. So-and-so and Phi Beta Kappa and Summa Cum Laude and blah, 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 we look into a passage like this and we see the God of Heaven saying, I'm going to deprive them of understanding. Just like I do the ostrich. And the ideas that they have come up with are legion. They're too many to list. And they are incredibly foolish. It, it takes a PhD to say that capital punishment is not a deterrent. Right. Somebody piled something higher and deeper to get that man a PhD. Capital punishment isn't a deterrent. I've never seen anyone put to death ever kill anyone again. What in the world are they talking about? If they'd publicize it, it would work on everyone else as well. And we could go on and on and on and there would be no end to it. That's what you get with an education. The education we want is right here. We want the Lord Jesus Christ to give us an education by showing us His ways and teaching us His paths and revealing Himself to us and revealing the Father to us. Because without that instruction and that education, we know nothing. And then we'll tack on a little bit of that other stuff just to make our way through the world and get some peanut butter for the shelves. But what the real education we want is right here. Look, turn to 1 Timothy 6 before I'm done making fun of all the idiots. 1 Timothy chapter 6. It is an arrogance to make fun of the world. And to make fun of their foolishness, it's sensible. It's righteous. It's like Elijah making fun of the prophets of Baal. It's like Jesus making fun of those wise and prudent. He's mocking their wise and prudent. They think they're wise and prudent. He's telling them they don't know as much as the babes that I have following me. The saved prostitutes. First Timothy chapter 6. All you science majors that are getting a B.S., a Bachelor of Science degree. Here's what the Bible has to say about your B.S. degree. 1 Timothy 6.20. Oh, Timothy! 1 Timothy 6.20. Oh, Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. They call it science. God says, false. That question on the exam gets an F. It's not science. Science is a word for knowledge. It's not knowledge. It's fables. It's vain babblings. It's profane and vain babblings. This is the Apostle Paul writing a young minister, telling him the attitude that he ought to have toward the gospel that had been committed to his trust and everything else he would hear in the world. 
Timothy, it's profane and vain babblings. It's the curriculum where you're going. Most of it. Profane and vain babblings, and it's science, falsely so-called, because it's not real science. Evolution is not a science. It's a religion. It's a religion to get rid of God. It's not a science. Their simple little scientific method proves it's not science. You can't observe it. You can't duplicate it. And there's no hypothesis that is proven by it. Anyway, ah, oh, Lord, I, I love the Bible. Every young man ought to be filled with this book. They can get up there and call it psychology. Call it anthropology, sociology, psychiatry, astrology. They can come up with all their G's they want and call them sciences. Their science falsely so-called, according to the Word of God. What the Bible gives us is science truly called. True knowledge is in the Bible. True knowledge is taught in these pages. And we thank you, Lord of heaven and earth, for revealing it to us. Look at John chapter 9. John chapter 9. The Lord Jesus Christ came into this world for judgment. He came into this world to give sight to the blind and blindness to the seeing. John chapter 9, verse 39. A whole chapter is dedicated to the man born blind and how Jesus healed him from his blindness and how he was thrown out of a synagogue. Why would he be thrown out of a synagogue where the most conservative religionists on earth worshipped, where they worshipped Jehovah and they had the Old Testament scriptures? Why would they throw a man out of the synagogue who said he had met the Son of God, and he didn't really know for sure who he had met, but he had healed him from his blindness. Because he dared question them about their ignorance of the man who had healed him. And so we have this summary at the end of John 9. Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world. And we should remember those words. For judgment... I am come into this world, that they which see not might see the man born blind in two respects, physically, spiritually, and that they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words, and they're better listeners than most Christians, and they're better Bible readers than most, and said unto him, Are we blind also? <laughs> Amen. Jesus said unto them, If ye were blind, ye should have no sin. But now ye say we see, therefore your sin remaineth. If you were real, Do you see him playing with words? Are you able to follow that? He played with words to jerk their chain. If they were blind and they had come to him and said, Lord, we're blind, show us the truth, they'd see. But because they said they saw, their sins remained on them because they were insolent in their blindness. The Lord wants us to come... Do you know what the blind man had said? Watch, watch the conversation. You want to hear a wise man talk? Amen. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. The poor man born blind, he's healed. He's been cast out. John 9.35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, 
that I might believe on him. And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. That's a man that admits he's blind. Lord, who is he that I may believe on him? Isn't that wonderful? I know you love it, David. We've, We've loved that story for a long time. This is real. This is history that should teach you how to think and how, you, how to speak to God. This is history that will get you some seeing eyes by telling him, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? Show me thy paths. Teach me thy ways, O Lord. Amen. Amen. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I hope that many of you were able to read this last evening in preparation for today. Let me quickly run through a few of its verses. It's one of the most powerful passages in the Bible pertaining to this subject of why so much confusion in the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I want to give you its context very quickly. First of all, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the apostle is going to point out how that God is purposed through the gospel to confound the learning of men. Let's start at verse 17. I'm going to read a few verses. Follow with me in chapter 1. Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. The preaching of the cross can't save the perishing, because the perishing look at it as foolishness. The preaching of the cross is an impressive message to those that are saved, because it reveals to them the power and the wisdom of God. Right here in this text is our doctrine of salvation. And it condemns their doctrine of salvation. That say you got to preach the gospel to the perishing to get them saved. The perishing think it's foolishness. God has to save us first by calling us with the calling of regeneration before we'll ever receive the preaching of the cross as the power and wisdom of God. When it says that the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, that's how it's perceived. When it says that those that are saved, it's the power of God, that's how it's perceived. A man who's saved hears the preaching and recognizes the great power and authority of God in Christ saving his elect. Verse 19, and here's why it's all set up this way. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. This is our God and what he's doing to this world. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we don't give them what they want, the Lord is now saying. We preach Christ crucified Unto the Jews, a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks, foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. All of that is to say the same thing as Matthew 11 said. God is sovereign, and God gives His truth to those He wants to give it to, and He hides it from those He doesn't want to have it. And it's because in His wisdom, He saw that the world in wisdom would never know Him. Because they're learning things that do not tend toward learning the truth of the gospel. And so he sends the gospel. 
The preaching of Jesus Christ is just an abominable, foolish message to those that aren't saved. The Jews want to see miracles. He doesn't send miracles. He sends the preaching of the cross. The Greeks want wisdom. They want some philosophical pandering to their intellects. And so here comes along Paul preaching, Jesus Christ died on the cross. Both of them hate it for, very, for the two different reasons, but those that are called to eternal life love it. Chapter 3, let's jump chapter 2 for a minute. Jump over to chapter 3. I want you to get the big context all the time when you're reading the Bible. Always look for the context. Always. It's one of the, it's one of the ways God has written His Word, so that if you don't follow context, you're going to end up hanging yourself a thousand times over. 1 Corinthians 3, look at verse 18. Let no man deceive himself. This is very easy to happen, or we wouldn't have the words. The warning there, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise that they are vain. These are quotations from the Old Testament. Therefore let no man glory in men. And it goes on to say some other wonderful things that are true of the children of God. But notice that the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. So if you want to be wise, you have to make yourself a fool. And that's what Solomon did. I am but a little child. God said, I'll raise you up and make you wiser than any king before you or after you. And if you will get down, <clears throat> let me back up. Do you believe that you have such an offer of wisdom like Solomon had? How about James 1.5? If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men, liberally, not all men, all men that ask. Yeah. Do you understand that that's implied there? Or the whole world would be wise. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. That sounds as good as 1 Kings 3 to me. Lord, Lord, give us wisdom. We lack wisdom. We are babes. We fit Matthew 11. We know we're babes. We're nothing. The world despises us, and we despise ourselves in and of ourselves. But give us wisdom, O oh Lord. Give us wisdom. Come back to chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, very quickly. In this great context of chapter 1, 2, and 3, this, this large context that God has purposed to make foolish the wisdom of this world, and He's chosen the preaching of the cross to do it. We come to chapter 2. first five verses of chapter 2 are Paul saying, I intentionally dumbed down the message so that your faith would stand in the wisdom of God and not in the wisdom of men. If I dumb the message down and take away embellishments, stories, anecdotes, illustrations, testimonies of athletes, actresses, sound shows, light shows, and all the rest of the stuff that are so popular today, then the only thing that's left is the preaching of the cross. So when you lay out the fact that we're all sinners and that God has purposed to save His elect and He sent Jesus Christ to die for them and He'll not lose a single one of them and the Holy Spirit regenerates each of them and they will eventually be in glory, glorified forever. When you present that simple message without embellishments, then those that love it, those that get excited by it, 
Those that are moved to change their lives by it. You know it's of God. If, if you have Harleys for Jesus, then there's this problem that half of those, at least, in Harleys for Jesus are there for the Harleys, not the Jesus. So when you have churches in town that have Harleys for Jesus and Suzuki's for Jesus and Yamaha's for Jesus, you've got to worry how many of them are there for the Yamaha, Suzuki, and Harley. So Paul said, I don't do any of that. I don't add anything to the Word of God. I just preach Christ and Him crucified, the Lord of glory, the coming judge, and salvation from sin by Him. Those that hear that and believe it, it has to be by the work of God because that's just a crazy message. And if they have any inklings in the flesh for Harleys, they're going to be down the road to the Harley show. This, so Paul, in five verses, says, I dumb... Paul was an orator. <laughs> yep. He was base. And he was base in appearance and rude in speech by choice. Base in appearance he couldn't help a whole lot about, but he was rude in speech and contemptible in speech by choice. And he tells you right here it was his choice. I didn't come to you with the wisdom of man's words. I came to you in fear and trembling. If you don't think he was an orator, go read the last five chapters of the book of Acts when he stood before Felix, Festus, and Agrippa and see how he defended himself. I know, I know they had a hired gun out of Jerusalem named Tertullian, but when I read Tertullian's speech, then I read Paul's speech, I say, the A goes, the a goes to Paul and the B goes to Tertullian. Right. You've got to read them. Paul was an or Paul, Paul, Paul. I count myself happy, O King Agrippa. And he goes on and he's, he does an awesome job. But not when he's preaching the cross of Christ. And he tells us that. Okay, we come to verse 6. Now, the, these are precious words. These words right here in verses 6 through 16 are glorious and wonderful. And they give you a blessing that I fear you often neglect by not knowing this chapter as well as you should. We usually go into this chapter for the 14th verse to prove total depravity to somebody who thinks that man has a free will. But I want you to go into 1 Corinthians 2 for every one of its verses. They're wonderful. Very quickly. He says in the first five verses, I dumbed my message down so that I wouldn't be attracting you by the wisdom of man's words or by man's wisdom. So I, I didn't preach wisdom in the human sense of the word or the worldly sense of the word. So we take up in verse 6. Howbeit, in spite of what I just said, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. That's you, brethren, and me. We do preach wisdom. And it's to you, elect brethren, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. The wisdom of this world and the wisdom of its teachers, its professors, and its governors and its rulers is going to come to nothing. We do not preach that wisdom. But we do preach wisdom. We preach the wisdom of God, and we preach it to them that are perfect. I, can, I do not have time to preach every word of this passage. Them that are perfect are you, the elect, believing children of God. He's using the word perfect to set it in distinction to those that are base, foolish, poor, and nothing from chapter 1. And in other places in the Bible, Jesus would say wisdom is justified of her children. The only ones that believe the real wisdom of God are the children of God. Paul preached wisdom. He just didn't preach man's wisdom, and he, just, he didn't preach God's wisdom by man's devices or by man's words. 
He just laid it out there. By manifestation of the truth is what he calls it in chapter 4. He just makes the truth as plain as he can. Take it or leave it. Manifestation of the truth. All the wisdom of this world is coming to nothing. Brethren, every single book they've written. And the Library of Congress is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. They, they can now put it, you know, in, uh, in electronic formats. They don't have to have quite as many books stored altogether. But it's bigger and bigger and bigger. When Solomon said the making of many books, there is no end. What would he say today? But do you know what when it all, when they all stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, it's going to evaporate. It's going to evaporate because there's nothing. That's what it says. Verse 6, and I believe it, and every young man in here ought to believe it, and every young woman ought to believe it. It'll come to naught. That means nothing. It'll evaporate in the presence of God in all truth in that day. Verse 7, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. The hidden wisdom of God. The secret things that the world cannot figure out, cannot know, God's revealed them to us. The list is so long, it would take sermon after sermon to go through it all. From our election before the world began. You know, that, that is a secret that no one knows about except by the Bible. That's a secret that no one knows about except through the preaching of the gospel. The coming of the Son of God into this world by a virgin birth, taught in the Bible, rejected by the world, mocked at by the world, but truth nonetheless. Heaven that's prepared for us. Justification with the Holy God by a substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. On and on we could go. The cause of death, the cure for death. The origin of man, the end of man. The purpose of man, the glory of God, of course. So much is revealed, and it's a secret because it's the mysteries of our religion. We have mysteries, and it's not like the Masonic Lodge. Our mystery is not a set of holy underwear. Our mystery is what God has revealed. Right here. This, is, this, this passage is so wonderful. Whom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Before the world began. Before the foundation of the world. Paul just shortens the phrase here. That before the world, He had already set up all the wise planning for the purpose of His children. Everything He had in store for His children was set back there. He chose us in Christ be back there. Your name was written down back there. The end result of you being glorified in heaven was set down back there. But nobody knows about that except through the preaching of the gospel. They can't know it. What school do you want to go to? Brown? Furman? USCS? Greenville Tech? Harvard? Stanford? The U of M. So you can go to the big house on weekends. Where do you want to go? They know nothing. They can calculate the trajectory of a speeding bullet. <laughs> can they calculate the trajectory of a speeding angel? It's got an inverse curve. Because it'll go as fast as God sends that angel. They know nothing. Bullets aren't going to help you in the day when angels appear. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ is going to reveal from heaven, be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels. They're faster and more powerful than a speeding bullet, and they don't wear blue, skin-tight underwear. I refer to the, the idiot with the S on his chest. Shoot me is what it stands for. It's all not. Look what we have in the Bible. Amen. 
Things prepared for us from the foundation of the world. Verse 8, which none of the princes of this world knew. Think of the princes. Herod, did he have an education in Rome? Go read about it. Pilate, did he have an education in Rome? Go read about him. Nicodemus, Ananias, Caiaphas, were they learned men? They were the princes of this world that gathered together against the Lord Jesus Christ, but their they did not know about any of the mysteries of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even Jesus said, you can tell what kind of weather is coming tomorrow, but you can't figure out that I have raised the dead, caused the blind to see, raised the lame to walk and to run, fed multitudes, stopped storms. You can't see that I'm the Son of God. Do you understand that level of blindness? That was God-caused blindness. Do you understand the benefit if you believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Son of God? God has opened your eyes to believe that. And you've never seen Him. They saw Him. They heard Him. When they sent officers to capture the Lord Jesus Christ, those officers came back without Him and they said, Where is He? We have never... Never man spake like that man. Can you believe that testimony by armed men that were sent to bring the Lord Jesus Christ back to trial? In the Garden of Gethsemane, they said, Where's Jesus of Nazareth? I am He. And they all fall backward on the ground with the power, in the power of the, the presence of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did they get up and fall down on their knees and worship Him? Is that blindness? How many? Of those Jews ran to the cross when it went dark for three hours from noon until 3 p.m. When there was an earthquake that rent the rocks. When the veil in the temple was rent in half. How many priests came running out of that temple, out of the city gate, up the hill of Calvary, to fall at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ? How many? None. But there was a Roman there, and he was a babe. He smote his breast and said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Because the God of heaven had said, Learn! And he learned. He had overseen his crucifixion, but he learned. And there was a thief. You want to talk about a babe? There was a thief. He turns to the thief and he said, Shut up. What are you picking on the Son of, what are you picking on this man for? We're getting what we deserve. That's a babe. That's what, that's what we all need to say. I'm getting what I deserve. You know what God had said to him? Learn of my son. Learn. How do I know that? Because he was cursing Jesus one minute, and the next minute he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He called him what? Please. please. No man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. None of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Do you know what happened to Jerusalem 40 years later for not knowing the time of their visitation by the Son of God? They were ground to powder. They would not have touched the Lord of glory if they'd have known it was Him. We know because He's revealed Himself to us. I hope, every, I hope that there is a spirit of prayer and thanksgiving that comes out of every one of us with the words of Jacob. Lord, I am not worthy of the least of all thy mercies and of all the truth that thou hast shown us. Amen. Verse 9. But as it is written, he quotes Isaiah 64. 
I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. It doesn't matter what think tank you're part of, whether you go to Columbia University or the Wharton School of Business at the University of Pennsylvania. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter where you go. It's never entered into the mind of man. It hasn't entered into his eyesight because he's never seen it. It's never entered into his ears because he's never heard it. It's never entered into his heart because he can't think that big. Man cannot think that big. The things that God hath prepared for them that love him. This book tells us about things God has prepared for us that staggers the imagination. There is nothing on earth to compare it to. That's why there's so little said about heaven. Because it excels everything we have ever seen. You want to talk about your body? Go read about your body in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's going to be a glorified spiritual body that cannot be compared to anything you've ever seen before. All that Paul can say is, it is so it differs in glory like you wouldn't believe. He just, he's at a loss to tell you what it's like. And, and you know, anybody that questions it and anyone that mocks it, he says you're fools in verse 34 and 35. He doesn't even want to deal with them. The Lord has all this in store for us. Look at that verse. Verse 9. If I can't see it, then there's no microscope or telescope that's going to bring it into view. They're telescopes. Do you know what they get with their telescopes? They get a new telescope. We found a new galaxy that's the result of another Big Bang 80 billion years ago. And we read that and say, why didn't you use the money for something good like Big Macs for everyone in New York's Central Park? Why in the world did you build a telescope, you idiots? There's no big bang except God said, let there be light. There was a big bang and there was light. Oh, here it is. Verse 10, but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. Man in a think tank, man educated, man in a great environment, man encouraged, man paid, man rewarded. He can't see it, can't hear it, can't think it. But God hath revealed them, plural things, from verse 9, unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. The deep things like adoption. The deep things like heaven. The deep things like assurance. The deep things that make us cry, Abba, Father. That He is our Father. The Spirit searches them and and gives them to us. And And it gives them to the apostles so that they can write them down. Verse 11. For what man knoweth the things of a man... Save the spirit of man which is in him. Who knows your fears? Who knows your desires? Who knows your hopes? Who knows your joys as much as your spirit inside you? The rest of us can't fully relate to those specific things. How we handle life, life experiences in general, the face of man answereth in water, as the face answereth the face in water, so the heart of man to man. But in your joy, your desires, your loves, your hopes, those things are known by your spirit only. Who knows all the things of God? His Spirit. That's what that verse is teaching. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Who really knows your thought processes except your spirit? Who really knows the things of God, save the spirit of God? You can't figure them out anywhere else. You're not going to figure them out from a textbook. You're going to, only the Spirit of God can reveal them. Verse 12, now here's what Paul says. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world. There is a Spirit in the world. There is a Spirit in the world that believes in same-sex marriages. There is a Spirit in the world that believes in evolution because they want to get rid of a Creator God. 
There's a spirit in the world that if God's going to, if there is such a thing as salvation, heaven and hell, then everyone ends up in heaven and no one goes to hell. There is a spirit in this world. There is another spirit that Paul was afraid of that the Corinthians might listen to. There is a spirit that motivates men like Benny Hinn. There is a spirit in man. There is a spirit that causes men to hate and to kill one another. And it's the spirit of the devil. That is the spirit of this world. This world follows the course of this world and the prince of the power of the air. Now, we have received not the spirit of this world. We don't have their spirit. They have a spirit revealing things to them and caused them to do the terrible things that they do. But we've received the spirit which is of God that we might know the things that are freely, freely given to us of God. There is no free lunch. I scream in my rage of another spirit. But there is a free lunch according to this text, but it's not free. Because the Word of God tells me it was paid for by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. These wonderful things that God has prepared that we can't even imagine are free by Christ's purchase price for them. And we've received the Spirit of God so that we can speak them. Verse 13, which things also we speak, this plural things that God hath prepared for them that love Him, which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. The way we understand the, the eternal verities, the truths of the universe, is by the Spirit of God that gave us words. And we compare these words, and we compare these verses. He's already quoted, hasn't he? He's already done some comparison. In chapter 1, did we have two quotations down there in about verses 19 and 20, did we already had a quotation from Isaiah 64 in verse 7 right here? We compare spiritual things with spiritual because the Spirit of God has written down words. That is why we fight for every word of our King James Bible. That's why we don't like paraphrases. Because we don't want the words of Eugene Peterson. We want the words of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And the words of the Holy Ghost are right here. Eugene Peterson, the message. We want God's message by His Spirit. And, and Paul said, that's what we preach. I don't preach man's wisdom. I don't preach Aristotle. I don't pre- preach Plato, Socrates, or anyone else. Norman Vincent Peale, I don't preach any of those guys. Billy Graham, I don't preach anyone like that. I preach the words which the Holy Ghost gives. And we speak it. Not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. We compare spiritual concept with spiritual concept, a spiritual word used here with a spiritual word used here. That's how we study the Bible. The Bible's its best commentary, and that's why we treat it the way we do. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Though we've been given this Spirit that's telling us the truth about things prepared for them that love God, from before the world, though we do that, the natural man doesn't receive it. He mocks it, makes fun of it, rejects it, sometimes kills the speaker. Because the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. By one birth you are a natural man. Only by your second birth of God are you a spiritual man. By your first birth, no matter how many degrees you have, no matter how old you are, No matter how highly men esteem you, you cannot know the things of the Spirit of God nor receive them, for they are foolishness unto such a man, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. The idea... 
that there is sin in the universe that brings death. And there is a holy God that must judge sin and has devised a way of sending His own Son to die for sinful flesh, take on flesh, and die for sinful men in order to save them. That is a spiritual concept. And unless you're spiritual, you will reject the whole thing as nonsense. Because the natural man does not think of himself as a sinner. He thinks of himself as an intelligent, great guy. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's Paul, Jesus, or the Spirit presenting it. If they're presenting it to a natural man, it's foolishness. Neither can he know them. They're spiritually discerned. You have to have a new spiritual man that relates to spiritual truth. A natural man cannot relate to it. It's beyond him. He hates it. He resents any aspect of it. There is no God to tell me how I need to live. The spiritual man says, God, tell me. Show me thy paths that I can walk in them. What a difference. The natural man. We always go to this chapter for this verse. I want you to go to this chapter for all the other verses as well. Because look what it's saying that God's trying to give you through the words which the Holy Ghost teacheth. He's trying to tell you about things that eye has not seen nor ear heard. No man has ever thought about what God has in store for you. What's the best house in the world right now? You know, what's the lifestyles of the rich and famous? What do you want? You want brass in your kitchen? You want a gold-plated toilet? Make sure it's got some stronger metal than gold in it, or when you sit on it, you're going to sink right into the stuff. Because gold's too soft. What do you want to whine about? They, They make a gold toilet. You know, it still needs to be the same size as mine. Or you're going to fall in. Or it's not going to go in. They worry about all this stuff. Houses, cars, clothes, acreage. You can only walk on one square foot of ground at a time. If you go out into your 400 square foot garden and turn around in it a couple of times, enjoy. There are things prepared for those that love Him that crush everything the world can even imagine. So you live in St. Peter's Palace outside of Leningrad. It's a, it's a decent shack as far as the world's concerned. What has he got in store for us? And a natural man doesn't care about it, doesn't believe any of it. But a spiritual man, according to verse 15, he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. What does that mean? A spiritual man that's born again, he hears the truth of the gospel being preached by someone like Paul who dumbs the message down and just lays Jesus Christ out there in the truth of the Bible. He believes it. He discerns it. He judges it. That is truth. I know that's the truth. I love that message. I believe that message. I want to live the rest of my life in the light of that message. Yet he himself is judged of no man. The word judged in this verse is like the word discerned from verse 14. The rest of the world cannot discern that man that he is a child of God. He is able to judge all things. He's able to look at the world and say that's retarded. He looks at the world. That's idiotic. That's foolish. That's vain. That's vexation. That's nothing. It's going to come to naught. All the wisdom of the princes of this world is nothing. This truth of the Bible is everything. He's able to judge all things, but he himself is judged of no man. No man is able to look at him and say, that is a child of God. 
God has sent his spirit inside that man's heart, which makes him smarter than all the rest of us and has revealed things to him that we cannot figure out. He is judged of no man because it's all internal. The natural man cannot judge spiritual things, can't discern them, can't figure them out, can't see them or receive them. And the natural man can't figure out that you're a child of God. Instead, they want to call us lunatics, fanatic, fanatics, and kill us when they get enough power in government. And that's why we pray for peace in our nation. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Is there any man on earth, a prince, a ruler, a professor, an educator? Is there someone in a position of power, someone in a position of education that's able to instruct the Lord? No. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? All sorts of learning is going to have to come the other direction from God. Not us to God, God to us. But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Where? It's in our new man. And you know what you're supposed to be doing? You're supposed to be making a choice in yourself of putting that new man on the throne of your life so that your whole life is conformed to what he teaches. You have two men in your life. The old man telling you to live in sin and to think the same way the world does. You have a new man that is the mind of Christ. And you are to be renewed in your mind by putting on that new man. You have it inside, and it's in this book. And we want to put it on. We want to believe. Everything that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and the other passages that we have read, we want to believe them. That's putting that mind on us. Believe them, think that way, speak that way, and live in the light of that way. 1 Corinthians 2 is fantastic about what God has done for us in the way of knowledge and understanding. This book is something, this book describes things past, things present, and things future. That man cannot figure out. His eyes can't see it. His ears can't hear it. His heart can't even imagine it. But God's prepared things from before the world began for our pleasure, our profit, His glory, our mutual fellowship with Him. And He's revealed them to us by His Spirit. Who knows, who knows the deep things of God? The Spirit of God. Do you know what He's given? He's given Himself to us by His Spirit. And Paul preached by His Spirit. And the words of the Spirit of God are written down. That is why we fight for the words of this book. Father, Lord of heaven and earth, I thank thee that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in thy sight. We have no explanation but that. Thank you, blessed God. Amen.